This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. You just thought, man, I'm doing pretty good. I'm good out ways my bad. I'm doing, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. And you looked in the mirror one day and you just said, I'm wicked. I deserve judgment. God should send me to hell. And I, that's not what people say until they receive the illumination. The gospel, the Holy Spirit through the gospel illuminates their eyes, their awareness. He is the one who exposes us to truth, takes off the blinders, gives us understanding. It's safe to say that all of us look at ourselves through rose-colored glasses. It feels good when life is going well and we're making the right choices. Even when we mess up, we're quick to shove it under the rug and get back to being happy. In today's message, Pastor Josh wants you to know that no matter how good life is going, you'll never experience satisfaction without God. All the riches of this world are meaningless when you move on from this life. Invest in eternity and be saved by God's perfect grace. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Galatians chapter 3, as he begins his message, The Purpose. Would you agree with me that the church's need for the power of the Holy Spirit is is just as great now as as it's ever been? I read a a book from John Stott once, and I have to agree with him. I don't agree with him on everything, but I have to agree with him when he wrote regarding the Holy Spirit, that today the general picture of the church remains one of steadily diminishing Christian influence in increasingly secular community. The dead dry bones of the church need the living breath of God more than ever before. The living breath of God that empower and infuse the first church to love radically, to sacrifice supernaturally, to speak courageously, to give up their very lives, to reach the world with the good news of Jesus, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, to engage in spiritual warfare against the realms of evil in the heavenly places, that same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, who really is the foundation and the source of strength and power that the church has always had to have. Author Jack Taylor, in an analogy in one of his books on the Holy Spirit, dramatizes the helplessness of churches that depend on their own ingenuity and strength He writes this, it's a little long, but listen, it's a very very well-written analogy. He says, to a large extent, we go around beating on trees with bare axe handles at intervals under the suspicion that it's not getting the job done. We call for strategy conferences on how to make our axe handles more effective or improve our swing. We take a census of the trees, motivate the woodchoppers declare that this is a day for felling forests. And with polished axe handles and persuasive personnel, we embark towards the woods. But alas, though the noise of these workmen is great, the sound of failing trees is still missing. He concludes, this is movement without might, energy without effectiveness, much doing but little dynamic. There is little to show after all is done but bruised hands, tired bodies, 
and wounded trees. What is missing? The axe head, of course, the cutting edge of it all. And what is the axe head of the church? It's the life of God in Christ released through the work of the Holy Spirit. The church with all our abilities and programs are but handles on which swings the axe head of God's life. It's the axe head that has to be recovered. I think that hits a tender spot in the church today. We see a lot of action, a lot of activity. We perceive a lot that looks like it's getting done, but when it comes down to the brass tacks of the matter, where are the changed lives? Where is the long-lasting fruit? Where do we get more than a flash in the pan that people get excited momentarily about? That's from the life and the power of the Holy Spirit. We looked at the person of the Spirit. We really dove in deep to the scriptural definition of who is the Holy Spirit. We saw that he is divine and at the same time individual. The third person of the Godhead, fully in unity and in equality with God and with Christ. Yet he has an individual, personal relationship and work in the earth. He is invisible. We can't see him, but like the wind, he is tangible. His effects are felt and experienced by the world and by the church in different ways. We saw, of course, that he is holy. By nature, he is, he is the Holy Spirit, and that all that comes from him magnifies holiness, magnifies righteousness, and points us to the Holy One who is Jesus. We're looking at the purpose of the Spirit, the purpose of the Spirit. And, and let me ask you, let me tell you, to try to define the purpose of the Spirit in one statement is, is, is impossible because he is so multifaceted in why he is here and what he does that wrapping it up in one statement, that the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to accomplish the will of God around us, within us, and through us around us, within us, and through us. When we think of the Holy Spirit accomplishing God's perfect will and magnifying Christ, I think this threefold description can be found within the framework of how Jesus talked about the ministry of the Spirit. Jesus taught us that the Holy Spirit is always working around us. He's in the world doing specific things, as we'll see. We will also see that Jesus taught that the Holy Spirit is working inside of us. He's doing things in us that no one else and nothing else could do. But we also will see that the Holy Spirit wants to work through us to bring the kingdom of God around us. He wants to use our lives, our gifts, our talents, and supernaturally infuse each of us with power to accomplish his will. And so let's dive in, shall we? Our first point, the spirit around us. The spirit around us regarding the purpose of the spirit. It's important for us to understand that the spirit is not a mere expression or a force that exists only for the Christian, but rather the Godhead is working and present and active in the world within our present day context. Now, I do want to note that the Bible is clear that the unregenerated person who's never placed their faith in Christ cannot receive a personal relationship with the Holy Spirit. Muslims, Buddhists, Hindus, those of false cults and religions, they have spiritual experiences. Would you agree with me? There are a lot of people who have a lot of spiritual experiences in the world. That's because there's more than one spirit that exists. 
There are spirits. There is a spirit world. There are ranks of angels and demons and fallen angels, and we might get into that at some point if we, if we dare. But there's only one Holy Spirit. There's only one God. And the Holy Spirit can only be received internally and entered into relationship and connect a human to God only through faith in Christ Jesus. Galatians chapter 3 verse 14 tells us that very clearly. That it is by faith we receive the Spirit. And Jesus said the world does not know the Spirit, nor can they receive him, for he is of God. And so spiritual experiences don't always equal Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit is experienced by those who trust in Jesus Christ and who have access to God and who enter in the gate through the truth. But having said that, we don't want to assume then that the reach and the impact of the Holy Spirit is somehow confined to the church. The world does experience the Holy Spirit in a different way than we experience the Holy Spirit. And Jesus told us exactly what that way is. In John chapter 16, verses 8 me 11, he says, And when he has come, Jesus speaking of the Spirit, of the Helper, the paraclete in the Greek, the one who will come alongside of us, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So when he has come, he said, he will convict who? The, the world. So the Holy Spirit is working around us in that his ministry in the world is to convict. The word convict is interesting. It doesn't simply mean to like just point out someone's wrong. Or, you know, we think of convict like feeling, feeling bad about something. No. The word literally means to, to provide or put forth undeniable evidence that dismantles every opposing view. In other words, the Spirit of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ is providing undeniable proof to the world about the reality of who Christ is and who they are. And if that truth would be received, it would dismantle every other worldview, every other philosophy, every other religion, if people would look at this conviction that the Holy Spirit is bringing forth through the truth and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's the truth of the matter. The Holy Spirit is the one who illuminates the darkness of man's state in sin, illuminates the truth of God's coming judgment for sin, reveals the hope of righteousness that can be obtained through Jesus Christ. This is the Spirit's job. Here's the reality. You and I could not, would not be saved, redeemed, going to heaven, aware of God, awakened to righteousness, spiritually connected to Christ, without the work of the Holy Spirit in the world. You'd have no clue. You would have never heard his voice. Your eyes would have never been opened to the truth of the gospel. You would have never seen yourself for who you really were. How many of you had that moment where one minute you thought you were pretty good and then the next moment you realized that you are guilty of hell? Anyone? You think you just figured that out on your own one day? You just thought, man, I'm doing pretty good. My good outweighs my bad. I'm doing, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. And you looked in the mirror one day and you just said, I'm wicked. I deserve judgment. God should send me to hell, and I, that's not what people say until they receive the illumination. The gospel, the Holy Spirit through the gospel illuminates their eyes, their awareness. 
He is the one who exposes us to truth, takes off the blinders, gives us understanding. I like how one commentator, Merrill Tinney, he writes this, the spirit does not merely accuse men of sin. He brings them to an inescapable sense of guilt so they realize their shame and helplessness before God. And I don't know about you, but this is one thing that actually really comforts me about the state of our world today. There are very few things that comfort me about the state of our world today. Everywhere I look, it's like I get, I get angry, hopefully righteously angry, sometimes not. I get frustrated. I... But in the midst of the wickedness and the manipulation and the deceit and the falsehoods that are in humanity, what comforts me is that the Spirit is still speaking, convicting, convincing, exposing, drawing, calling. And when you and I preach the gospel, the good news is we do not have to solely rely on our best efforts to change someone's heart. I'm not saying we shouldn't practice our presentation or think about methods or think about equip ourselves with truth. No, I'm not suggesting that. But what I am saying, it's good to know that once I plant the seed, it's the Lord who's going to make it grow. Maybe you've been discouraged because you've been hitting a wall with someone where it's like, why can't they see? What else do I have to say? I'm just growing weary. You know what you do is you give them the truth in love and you let them deal with the Holy Spirit. God, forgive me, I can't remember the author. It's on the tip of my tongue. It's been a long time. But he is referred to by one author, and I just like the title, as the hound of heaven, constantly pursuing the hearts of men. I think of Saul, Paul, Saul, the Pharisee turned apostle. When he was on the road to Damascus and he met Jesus, remember what happened? The Bible says in Acts 9 that he fell to the ground and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Like, who else would it be, really? But (laughs) then the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. And then he makes a statement and I just love it. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. I remember when I was a teenager and I heard that verse, I'm like, I don't know what a goat is, but it doesn't sound good. <laughs> an ox goat or an iron goat is a, it's a long post that a shepherd, a herder would use with a prick. In fact, the old King James, I, like, I kind of like it. He, he says, hard for you to go against the pricks. <laughs> a, a point, a pointed edge that would poke the oxen to keep them, you know, to get them to move in the right direction. And I I think Jesus is talking about the ministry of the Spirit. Paul had, Saul had been around Christians. He's heard the gospel now a hundred times. And his flesh and his zealousness and his blindness is causing him to kick against this conviction, the Holy Spirit speaking to him, drawing him, calling him, piercing his heart. You remember the first time Peter stood up on the day of Pentecost and he preached the gospel All the people said, the Bible says, and they were pricked to the heart. By who? Spirit. The Bible makes it clear that the more a person resists the prodding of the spirit, the word in the, it comes from the root word to sting. The stinging of the spirit in the soul about your sin, about your distance from God, about your state before the Lord. The more a person resists and fights against that, the Bible says that their conscience becomes seared as with a hot iron. In other words, if you don't respond to the prodding iron of God, 
then the hot iron of sin will sear your heart and you will become calloused to the conviction of the Holy Spirit to the point that there will come a point in time where God hands you over, Romans says, to the deceitful desires of your heart and you get to experience the destructive consequences of ignoring the voice of God. Thankfully, Jesus told us what's impossible with man is possible with God. So there's always hope with the Spirit. Sometimes we need to pray and get on our knees, keep preaching the truth. But I'm comforted that the Spirit is at work around us. Not only is he the convictor, but I believe he's also the restrainer of sin. Not just the convictor of sin, but the restrainer of sin. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, Paul is talking about the Antichrist that's coming and the things that will take place when the Antichrist comes. And he says, partially what happens, the Antichrist comes because, verse 7 of chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians says, that the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Now, there's no complete consensus on who the he is that is restraining the mystery of lawlessness. Okay, I'm going to say that up front. But if you have the New King James, you'll see that the word he is capitalized H. I tend to agree that the he is referring to the Holy Spirit. That the mystery of lawlessness is the spirit of Antichrist. And who is restraining the spirit of Antichrist? But the Holy Spirit, the spirit of righteousness. And I believe the Bible indicates there will come a time when the church is raptured, so there will be no more voice in the world of absolute truth and righteousness, convicting and fighting for truth and righteousness. But I also believe that the Holy Spirit will lift his restraint that has kept the spirit of Antichrist somewhat at bay and the sin of man somewhat at bay. And let me tell you something right now. If you think it's bad now, when the church is in the world and the spirit's at work convicting the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment and keeping sin and destructiveness and Satan's intent at, at a minimum, just wait till the, the spirit says, okay, I'm gonna let go. You don't wanna be around for that. So the spirit is at work around us. Here I thought I wasn't going to have much to say tonight. Now I wonder if I'm going to finish on time. <laughs> Secondly, we see the Spirit, the purpose of the Spirit is that the Spirit works within us. The Spirit works within us. Once again, I've read this several times, but it, the theology of Jesus, John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17, Jesus said, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you, how long? Forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Notice the two relationships. He dwells with you and he will be where? In you. So right there, Jesus describes at least, and I say that on purpose, at least two relationships that the Holy Spirit has with the believer. Up until this point, when Jesus says this, the disciples have experienced the Holy Spirit's work, but as one who came alongside of them. They saw the Holy Spirit's miracles through Jesus. They even partook of the Holy Spirit's power to see the Holy Spirit working alongside of them through the ministry of Christ. But until Jesus breathed on them in John chapter 20, I believe, they were not indwelt they did not become temples of the Holy Spirit who came and connected now 
melded, so to speak, with their spirit. Again, John chapter 20 records the first reception of this promise. After the resurrection of Christ, he appeared to the disciples on multiple occasions. And in John chapter 20, verse 22, Jesus tells them he's going to send them out into the world. And then the next words he says, the Bible says he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I don't know why I get this picture of Jesus blowing on his disciples and, you know, Peter thinking like, did he have fish for breakfast? (laughs) (laughs) But here, an interesting thing happens, right? Spirit, pneuma in the Greek, breath, wind, air. Jesus is breathing himself, in essence, spirit of Christ, the spirit of God, into the disciples in this newfound relationship. And this is what happens, I believe, to everyone who calls on the name of Christ. You can't do Christianity without the spirit living in you. I'm going to make a statement that might sound controversial, but think about it. I think that every single spiritual transaction that happens between a person and God can only be mediated by the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can't have a spiritual transaction with God if you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. The disciples, their transaction with God happened through the person of Jesus and the work of the Spirit through Christ. But now that Jesus is gone, if we want to stay connected to the life of God, we have to have that connection where his Spirit bears witness with our spirit. And I think this is important for us to realize that the spirit of God has taken residence in our life. The the verses are too many to list. You and I, the Bible says, are individually temples of the Holy Spirit. Collectively, as a church, we are a temple being built up as a spiritual dwelling place of God. Spirit is in us. And this ought to get us thinking, well, what does the spirit do in me? I'm confident this is not a comprehensive list, but it's the best I could put together based on my memory and knowledge of the scripture. Holy Spirit of God in us. First, he seals us. He seals us. But in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, according and also in Ephesians 1.13, we read that God has also sealed us and given us the Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. Ephesians 1 says... In Christ you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom, having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So he uses two words, sealed and guaranteed. We are sealed, the ancient picture of the king's signet ring, that when the king would send a communication or something that that had to be done in his name, he would take the wax seal, he would put his signet ring, the sign of his authority, and that, whoever saw that letter would be, when they saw that seal, they said, don't tamper with that letter. You're going you're gonna to get it. And so the mark of Jesus by the Holy Spirit is now put on us in regards to our salvation. It's my personal belief that once the Holy Spirit has sealed you through faith in Christ, that there's no one else that can come and unseal you. And then he's given this, us the Spirit as a guarantee. The word means down payment. Imagine buying a house. How do you have any confidence that that transaction will go through? You throw out a down payment. Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins. Throughout this study, 
we're looking into what the Holy Spirit does in our lives and how that plays out in ministry. In the book of Acts, you notice that the day of Pentecost occurred, ushering in a new era for Christians, experiencing God's presence living inside of them. Jesus had physically left them, but he promised to send a helper, the Holy Spirit. As people experience God's presence in their lives, there's a different way that they live due to this powerful influence. We're told not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. May these messages that you're hearing bring you closer to God and bring about changes in you that can only be attributed to His Holy Spirit working inside you. If you'd like to hear additional messages from this series called Ministry of the Spirit, go to TheAscendingLife.com and click on the Media tab. The Ascending Life Ministry is an outpouring of what's going on at Grace Calvary in St. Joseph, Missouri. Our heart is for people to be awakened to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to learn more about Pastor Josh? Simply hop onto our website, theascendinglife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast. Again, that's theascendinglife.com. We so appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. But that's all the time we have for today. Make plans to join us again because there's more to learn about God and His Spirit right here on The Ascending Life. We're